Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Hlaud, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. Well, before I jump into today's sermon, today is one of those, Sunday morning has not gotten off to a great start. Anybody have a Sunday morning like that? Maybe today. Um, got a text message from Pastor Jonathan at 2.30 a.m. I, I saw it this morning saying, I am extremely sick. I'm sorry, I won't be in worship. Uh, so pray for Jonathan. Um, he's not feeling well. Also heard that we didn't have an assisting minister this morning. Thankfully, Janet said, I'll do that. I'll step up and do that. But just one of those mornings that kind of gets off a little, uh, little wonky, right? And then we have this passage for today, which, you know, we're coming to worship and we want to gather and we want to hear good news. We want to be inspired. We want to be filled up with God's love. And we hear this passage that has the power to make the hair on the back of our neck stand up a little bit, doesn't it? You know, we're all guilty. We're all accused. If anyone's sitting there thinking, oh, no, no problem, Jesus, um, you're not in touch with yourself. Number one, welcome to church where we can tell the truth about ourselves. You have heard that it was said you shall not murder, but I say to you, if you have anger in your heart, Malcolm, you're a murderer. You have heard that it was said, Wapel, you shall not commit adultery. Ooh. But I saw you looking at that girl in class. You have heard that it was said, you shall not swear. But I hear you all swear all the time, especially on Facebook. I'm watching. <laughs> We're all guilty, right? Now, pastors with this passage, which actually is a part of the Beatitudes, right? Matthew chapter 5. The beginning of the Beatitudes sounds beautiful and lovely and wonderful, doesn't it? Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn. It's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he's standing up and proclaiming a vision of God's kingdom, but that Sermon on the Mount ends with this bit about the law. What is Jesus doing? Now, pastors tend to interpret this in one of two ways, and you've probably heard sermons in these categories. One is that Jesus is turning the dial up and he's making the law more difficult. That that's what Jesus intends to do. You have heard that it was said, do not murder. Well, I haven't murdered anyone, so I'm off the hook. Well, he's, he's challenging that. He's saying, no, the law is harder than you think. And unless your righteousness, righteousness exceeds that of a scribe or Pharisee, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. I've heard a lot of fire and brimstone preaching, a lot of pastors that like to turn this up, turn the dial up, and say, try harder, church. You're not doing good enough. I hear other pastors preach this passage, and they say, well, that's not really what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing is he's pointing out that all of us fall short of the law. Therefore, we need Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. Thank goodness for grace. Really, it's just, you know, none of us could live up to that standard. So thank goodness for God's grace and love. You're off the hook. Is that what Jesus is doing? 
Now, certainly we need Jesus as the Savior. Certainly we all fall short. And certainly Jesus is turning the dial up. But what is he really doing? I have a question for you. What does God care about the most? What do you think? It's a million-dollar question. What does God care about the most? Surely, what do you think? Obedience. God certainly cares about obedience. Say it louder. To love one another. God certainly cares about loving one another. That's all over the Bible. What else does God care about? God cares about you. God cares about you. What I believe God cares about the most. I'm going to put my flag in the ground and I'm going to let you know what I think. What God cares about the most is human flourishing. God cares about you. God cares about human flourishing. Ever since the dawn of creation, the story of Genesis, what God has cared about most is that humanity would thrive, that we would flourish, that we would live lives of great meaning, of great purpose, of great belonging, and that we would flourish. Now there's all kinds of scriptural evidence for this, but let's bring it really close. Who here is a parent? Raise your hand. Who here is a parent? What do you want for your children more than anything? What do you want? You want them to flourish. You want your children to live lives of purpose and meaning. You want your children to be good citizens. You want your children to know that they're loved and that they belong. But really, when you mine deeper, what every parent wants is for their kids to flourish in the world. Now, what does it mean to flourish? That's the bigger question. And that's the question that we often miss the mark on. In God's wisdom, flourishing does not mean that you live a life of endless economic prosperity. It does not mean that you have the highest paying job. It does not mean that you you achieve measures of worldly success. Now, those things can be wonderful, good things. But in God's eyes, what it means to flourish is to know that you belong to have guide rails that that keep you on the path of righteousness and that you live with a great purpose. God wants us to thrive. But you see, God's desire for us to flourish is not an individual desire for Bill or for Malcolm or for Leon. It's one that God desires for all of us. God desires all of creation to flourish. Think back to Genesis. God created the heavens and the earth. God created the forests and the trees and the animals and the plants and the birds in the air. And God gave it all to humanity and said, this is yours and it is all good. Care for it. Enjoy the abundance of creation, what I've given you. And all along the way, God has been trying to guide the people into lives of thriving, a thriving existence which isn't selfish. It's for the life and for the sake of the world. 
and yet we keep missing the mark. All throughout Scripture, God's people kept missing the mark. And they heard this covenant that God had made, this covenant that God had made with their ancestors, whether it was Abraham, the threefold covenant, right? Through you, a great people will rise up. You will have land upon which to dwell, and you will be a blessing to all the world. In other words, through you, I'm going to change the whole world. And all people will thrive. And all people will have their bellies filled and their hearts full. And yet, we take this promise and we take this charge and we turn it inward again and again and again. Why is our society so messed up? Why are people so angry at each other? Why, are pe- why is there such a divide? Selfishness. Human selfishness. Us versus them. My gain, my prosperity, my life. We want to thrive individually, but we've forgotten what it means to thrive truly. You cannot thrive as an individual if your neighbor isn't. You can't. It's a false sense of thriving. And so God gives us the law. Not as a hammer to beat us over the head with. God gives us the law because it is the guide rails that keep us reminded of what it looks like to truly thrive. To truly live a life of purpose. The law is a good thing. I grew up across the street from a kid named Chris. And I've talked about Chris in the past. He was my best friend. And Chris's dad was abusive, verbally and physically sometimes. And Chris grew up in a household filled with rules. But the rules in that household were not designed for Chris and his sister Michelle to thrive. They were selfish rules of an abusive father. At 8 o'clock p.m. sharp every night, Chris had to be in his room and he had to be quiet. Not so that he could rest, not for his benefit, because his dad didn't want to be bothered anymore by noise in the house. When Chris came home from school, he immediately had to get to his homework without a snack, without 20 minutes to unwind. Thank God I grew up in a household where I had rules that were designed to help me and my sister thrive. The Ten Commandments are not rules from an abusive heavenly father. They're rules of love. And what is Jesus doing here in Matthew chapter 5? Is he turning the dial up and making it even harder? Or is he letting everyone off the hook because you need God's grace? What he's really doing here in Matthew chapter 5 is he's reminding people of the point of the law. Okay, you haven't killed anyone. Okay, you haven't slept with anyone's spouse. Okay, you haven't stolen anything. Okay, you haven't just dismissed your wife. Remember, in biblical times, wives didn't have a decision in the marriage process. Men, married women, brought them into their household, provided everything for them. So the challenge here about divorce is, don't just dismiss your wife because you no longer like her, leaving her to fend for herself. What he's doing is he's saying, remember that these laws are designed for communal flourishing. 
And when you have anger in your heart toward another, you don't thrive and they don't thrive. When you look at somebody else's spouse lustfully, you're degrading the other into an object. When you swear and make all kinds of promises that you can't keep, you're forgetting the fact that we don't need to swear. We just need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. The law is designed for us to live lives of meaning and dignity and purpose. But more importantly, it's designed to help us consider one another. To help us consider one another. The law gets us out of this narrative that it's all about me. It's all about my righteousness. Think of that rich young ruler who came up to Jesus elsewhere in the scriptures. And he said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, what does the law say to you? Well, honor your father and mother, do not murder, do not steal. He quotes the Ten Commandments. Jesus said, very well, very good. You have done those things. Yeah, I've done all those things. I've lived by the rules, right? Haven't killed anyone. Haven't, you know, fooled around with anyone's spouse. Haven't stolen anything. And the rich young ruler is thinking very individualistic. I'm righteous, I'm following the rules, I'm in line, I'm in line. And then what does Jesus do? He says, now, now live for others. Live for others. Leave everything you're holding on to. Because this isn't about your personal righteousness. It's about living in a way that helps other people thrive. That's what God cares about the most. And so when we come to the altar to receive the meal of grace, if we have animosity or anger in our hearts towards another, well then go and work on that. In other words, the greatest indication of our spiritual health and our relationship with God, well, it's our relationships with each other. We're not spiritually healthy if we hang on to animosity and bitterness and hatred. We're not spiritually healthy if we've discounted half of the nation. If we see a pundit on TV or somebody of an opposing political party and we immediately want to crucify them. We're not spiritually healthy. We're not spiritually healthy when we make ourselves out to be the judge and the jury. We're spiritually healthy and vibrant when we seek, although failingly, to live and love like Jesus. God cared so much about human flourishing that he would send his son to become human, to teach us what it looks like to truly live an abundant human experience, one that didn't return anger with anger, that didn't need to defend himself, that didn't cause a deeper divide in society. Jesus came to show us what it looks like for human beings to flourish, to welcome people of all backgrounds together, to create an alternative community marked by love and healing and new possibility. And the greatest example of human flourishing the world ever had, we killed, we crucified. We nailed to a tree because we would rather live divided, divisive, angry, bitter lives. And yet God 
would make that tomb empty three days later to show us that love and life win, that love and life are more powerful. What is wrestling inside of you? What is stirring in you spiritually? God wants you to thrive, but God also wants your neighbor to as well. May we live and love like Jesus in such a way that all of God's people could live with meaning and belonging and purpose. Cling to your faith in the crucified and risen Lord. God loves each of you and I do too. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.